0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: This is episode 65 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by index fund advisors, IFA.com. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. And today we have some fairy tale stories. We have some great news from the tour over in Europe going on. We have Stephanie Madhouse, who is German and uh, has adopted the. Um, Horses that are in the Western genre and taking it to heart is training with champions over there. And we get to hear about her experience of going from an English saddle to a Western reigning horse and becoming a champion. And we also have horse advocate Keith Dane, vice president of equine protection. This is Debbie Lauks and you're listening to The Horsemanship Radio. Thank you for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen.
2: Hello. How
1: are you doing? Good. I'm glad to hear from you. I'm excited to share today's show with you. We're this is up, really uh,
2: cool stuff we have coming up.
1: Yeah, it's amazing stories, really amazing stories. The first one, you know, I just had mentioned a little bit about uh, Stephanie Madhouse and and living a fairy tale uh, that every little girl who gets into horses just. Uh, hopes for it. it sounds like a it's an a movie script.
2: She, Let's face it, it's It kind of
1: is. Script. Don't yes. you think? It is. I think she she meets two champions from different worlds. It eats meets east meets west and all that stuff. Um, but then our second guest too is going to give us an update about Tennessee Walking Horses and that wonderful breed. And um, i I'd love to share it. Keith Dane's story with you. Um, it goes way back to it as a youngster. His first horses were a Tennessee walking horse, and he just loves the breed. Don't you don't you love the gated horses, Jen?
2: I think they've they're finally getting a little bit of the recognition they deserved. For many years, you only saw gated horses in the show ring and a little bit out on trail rides and things. But now that trail riding has literally become a competitive sport there are many 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 venues and disciplines and organizations that allow people who trail ride who don't ride in a ring to go out and uh, compete at various levels um, for for really experienced ones for people who just want to play around and just become better horsemen and learn and improve their horsemanship skills Mm -hmm. i think with that explosion we're starting to appreciate the gated horse more because we're seeing them. They're out and about in places Mm -hmm. where people who are not riding a gated horse see them or go, Oh, wait a minute. Where'd that come from? Why didn't I know about that my whole life? So it's really kind of cool (laughs) that they're getting the recognition they deserve.
1: Yeah, it's true. Um, You know, when we're riding Uh, quarter horses on the trail, they're even like that. You know, like, what is that? I've never seen one of those before. Right? And they hear them coming. coming? Yeah, so we're all getting used to them a little bit. But uh, so you've had gated horses before then? Well, I
2: haven't. um, Our family had a gated horse. My uncle um, acquired a gated horse when my parents, along with another couple, purchased a farm way (laughs) back in the 70s. And the previous occupants of said farm had some Tennessee walking horses, which they bred, raised and trained and showed. And they were big lick horses. Mm-hmm. And if you don't understand what a big lick horse is, uh, just wait till we hear from Keith later in the show and he will explain it very in, in great detail. Uh, mm-hmm. this particular one was the last foal. I believe born to their horses and they just never took the time to do anything with it. It was turned out to a field when it was weaned and untouched by human hands. So when the farm was sold, they said, why don't you just take that horse too? <laughs>
1: Goes with the farm. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he comes with the farm because you couldn't catch him. He was untouched. He was oh. sterile. <laughs> wow. Um, but to a credit to the breed, um, you see here. So many people say that the Tennessee walking horse is such a kind soul Mm -hmm. I completely comply. I completely agree. I have not met one yet that it doesn't have a kind soul. Occasionally, you're going to find some that are misunderstood, that have issues. Mm -hmm. They have people issues. But they are, Mm -hmm. I think, deep down, they're kind souls. And this one was. And my uncle uh, took that horse under his wing and trained it up. And he was a trusted friend and family trail horse up into Mm -hmm. his Mm -hmm. mid-20s. And that is actually the first horse that Glenn ever rode. Uh, uh, husband, Glenn, not a horse guy, Glenn. You know that. Mm-hmm. So I put him up on Tar Baby. The horse's name was Poor Old Lady's Tar Baby. And he, huh. was, he was rather a well-bred show horse, even though he never got to be a show one. Uh, he had the bloodlines for it. And he what? took good oh. care of Glenn and did not break Glenn. He's still here. Yeah. Had that gone badly, I probably
1: wouldn't be married to Glenn. <laughs> right. <laughs> the whole direction of horsemanship and radio
2: would that's be. That's right. Changed the whole forever. horse world would change. It would be a paradigm shift. So um I re- agree wholeheartedly. It sounds so kitschy when people oh, they're they're, you know, kind souls. They really mm-hmm. are. And that's in a way, that's that's too bad for the breed because they are so kind and so yeah. forgiving. They manage to hold up mentally to the training techniques that include I inflicting think. so much pain on the horse. that's that's the reason it works is that they, they are so forgiving. If you take a horse that's a little bit less forgiving, he's just going to tell you to kiss off and it's not going to work out and it's not going to go
1: well. Yeah, that's exactly my theory too on it. Jen. I think that the horses that are. Uh, the most compliant and gentle natures are, are the ones that um, survive. You know, well, the to ones put that it risk bluntly,
2: for, for abuse uh-huh. because they put up with it. Yeah. Yes,
1: exactly. I mean, I we we've seen this in other breeds. I'm not picking on just one particular breed, um, but any any discipline or you know, even if it's just in third world countries where they've really uh, developed their horses, their tractor, and they're not very kind to it it's the sensitive ones that go first, the really smart ones and the really sensitive ones and high energy ones. They just don't hold up well in a fight with, uh, you know, with humans. So I I agree with you. I think, uh, I think the breed is, is a wonderful, it's wonderful writing, uh, First of all, I mean, they, they are meant to go all day long uh, smoothly and mm-hmm. you can ride and not get tired yeah. effectively across the ground. It looks funny, for you know, if you're on the ground and you've never ridden a, a real gated horse, then it looks like there's a lot going on there. But up top, you could just, you know, as they say, you can uh, carry your glass of champagne and That's not right. spill a drop. <laughs> That's
2: right. And uh, yes, and each each gated breed, there are subtleties within those footfalls that create Technically, a different gate. So, the gates that a Tennessee Walker uses are going to be slightly different than a five-gated saddlebred, mm-hmm. or a Paso Fino, or various other ones. So, there are subtleties, and it, I really enjoy learning about all those subtle differences.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But unfortunately, for the gated community, the big lick horses keep punching the punching out that black eye, and mm-hmm. you know, just like nah. So, it's it's kind of neat that folks outside of the horse is industry are finding out about this. I look yeah. at the headlines and and I hear someone outside the horse business, particularly if it's a celebrity type go, Oh no, I didn't know that was happening. Mm-hmm. And that that's hard for me because I grew up around horses. I was a horse fanatic kid mm-hmm. and I was fully aware of these training techniques and um, their effect from a very, very young age, just because, mm-hmm at the Pennsylvania National Horse Show, which was held right down the street from where I lived as a kid. We would go every year. We'd play hooky from school. and (laughs) We would go and watch. And part of the show was the big lick classes. Mm -hmm. And I distinctly remember as a child being just horrified, horrified, Mm -hmm. when these horses would come into the ring. Mm -hmm. And it continues today. And I just go, really? Yeah. What am I what are you people missing? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, how do they miss natural horsemanship altogether? <laughs> they just miss that whole movement. Yeah. Yeah. It, it must be, it must be uh, hard for a young girl, just a dist- young horse lover to kind of swallow that too, because it just is so distorted. And, uh, and, you know, and uh, we should applaud those people who are going into that industry and trying to change things from the outside. That, and
2: that's in. not easy.
1: It isn't. Really it really it, you really take your your. I hate to even say it, but life and limb <laughs> in hand, because uh, you you sure, certainly don't get invited in, and you you aren't very welcome. And, and you know, I don't even think. I think a lot of it is just very much tradition. I don't think there's all that much money in it compared to other industries like the racing industry or something else. There just isn't any money in. But they they do cling to uh, to those traditions, and yeah. and I, I really do think if you listened all the way to the end here today to this show. You'll hear a way that you can help out. So, if any of this appeals to those people who like to see these horses just back to their natural state with a beautiful gait and flat shod, as they call it, and uh, just um, wonderful trail horses and wonderful breed, then um, listen all the way to the end of Keith Dane's.
4: Hi, I'm Mark Hebner, president of Index Fund Advisors, and proud owner of Monty Roberts' willing partners graduate. He's a sugar bear. <laughs> You know, investment portfolios are a lot like horses. You need to find one that best suits you, your temperament, and your stage of life. Some people might like an energetic horse and an aggressive investment portfolio, while others are more comfortable with a gentle ride and a more conservative investment portfolio. The trick is to find the one that's right for you. That's what Index Fund Advisors is all about, matching people with portfolios, risk-appropriate, low-cost, and globally diversified investment portfolios. You can find the right portfolio for you by taking the risk capacity survey at ifa.com. That's IFA as in Index Fund Advisors. Or you can call us toll-free at 888-643-3133. That's 888 643 3133.
1: Our first guest today, Monty Roberts, my dad, is the author of The Man Who Listens to Horses. Spent 58 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list back in the 90s, and he has spent the 2000s and the 2010s on uh, traveling the world, touring the world, uh, showing and demonstrating his mastery in the art of join up. That's a term he uses for that moment when the horse chooses to trust you. He is a famed clinician, uh, but he's just a darn good horse. My father, Monty Roberts. Welcome back, Monty Roberts. Hi, Dad.
5: Hi, Debbie. How you doing?
1: I'm good. Hey, thank you for. I know it's like the middle of the night there in Germany. Thank you for letting us catch up a little bit with you while on tour.
5: Well, it's it's only nine o'clock in the evening, Debbie. Or co- closing in on nine o'clock. But since I normally go to bed at eight o'clock. It's way in the middle of the night for me, but it's okay.
1: (laughs) That's right. Well, I appreciate it. Those are long days you're having over there, but we wanted to take a little sneak peek into your life over there in Europe as you're traveling on the road at, might I say, almost 81, and you've got surrounded yourself with a bunch of 20 and 30-somethings. So I know the energy level must be incredibly high, but we we wanted to... Have you tell us a little bit about this kind of special format that you did with one of your certified instructors in Germany, Steph Maddow, who's uh, got a little fame for a Western reining horse that she owns and shows over there a little bit, and also a connection to Grisha Ludwig with this same horse. So tell us a little bit about Saturday.
5: Yeah, Debbie. On um, last Saturday night, I did a demo in in, uh, Denmark at Wilhelmsborg and then on Monday night a speech for a horse organization and then on Tuesday night a speech for a group of veterinarians and it was great fun. Then we got in the car and we drove to Kiel in the north of Germany to stay overnight with Raz Rasmus Bartel. He's a veterinarian that does my translations here in Germany Mm -hmm. and that was fantastic. The next day we drove about five or six hours to go clear around London and go up to Steffi Mattos's place in the uh, north of London against the sea up there somewhere in Lapland or something. <laughs> it's really up north. Yeah. But, um, I met there with, um, shine my gun, the, the horse that, well, Debbie, it's a million to one shot. I took a little girl, five feet tall yeah. to meet Grisha Ludwig, uh, over near Stuttgart there. Uh-huh. And, uh, I wanted to go see Grisha and, and, uh, Steffi was driving me, so she went there, and she watched us ride one horse after another. He had me on several horses, and and, uh, and he was on horses, and the kid has just gone over the moon. He's winning championships like crazy.
1: Yeah, we should and say that. All yeah, the Grisha, Western... yeah, Grisha Ludwig is a champion in Europe in the Western reigning, right?
5: Yeah, and, you know, uh, Steffi had only ridden in an English saddle, and she saw this going on, and she said, I would really like to do that. And I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? (laughs) Um, so, uh, she, I I went back to, uh, Grisha and I said, Steffi would like to come and work for you. She's, she's a hard worker. And and he said, fine. She went back there and he was riding eight horses, preparing them for all the faturities. And there was one that was kind of out the bottom, a little tiny one that couldn't hear with a big blazed face. Uh. And, uh, he he doesn't hear. Mm -hmm. And, um, she bought him for next to nothing off the bottom of the list. And who do you think becomes the champion? <laughs> and he's going to the European championships again with, with Grisha in the saddle because he's a professional, but I mean, like this girl, uh, Steffi has won like four or five major championships in the non-pro category, Western reigning, Western not reigning. Western pleasure, Western reigning. That's right. And, uh, it can't happen. I mean, it just simply in three years, it happened and it can't be that way. If it was that way, nobody'd have to work at anything. I mean, (laughs) the the girl just learned like wildfire, you know, and, and the horse is just so perfect for her. Um, so it was a million to one shot and we had a format there by which they kept sending me horses with riders on. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. would simply talk for a little while and make examples of what they were doing for the audience which was about a 100 people or so um make examples of what they were doing that I would change if there was anything I would change or congratulating them for doing a good job in in some way or another um we had a a, a very spoiled little pony that a, a girl re- didn't ride in on she led him in and it's a good thing because <laughs> yeah. he was not suitable for the girl at all oh dear but the next day we did a lot of work with him and it um it turned out okay, and then it was 800 miles down here to and where we were on tomorrow night.:
1: Yeah, that's right. you got, you go back to the and these are like 800 to a thousand people in these demos, right, in Germany.
5: Yeah, I think we'll be close to a thousand at this one, and probably up from there on the rest of them.
1: Right. So this this little uh, diversion over to Steph Maddow's, uh with this champion was well, silver. Silver, I think he took in the European Championships in Italy last year, if I recall. And um, that's and correct. That was a clinic then. Actually, that was more of a clinic than a demonstration uh, format, right?
5: That, that's that's exactly right. Debbie, yeah. and you and you mentioned that I've got a team around me of 20s and 30 year olds, mm-hmm. and and I'll, I'll get their energy up, okay, before this is over. <laughs> It'll be all right.
1: Yeah, they they got to keep up with you. I I get that. I really do. They've
5: so, got to keep up with me. But I I tell you, uh, this Joanna is just off the charts, doing she, a good job. Joanna yeah, Lowe. you've got to, And then got to and enter. now I meet up with Annalena Arnold, and. uh, Oh, I'm the luckiest man in the world. I mean, uh, Annalena speaks the language, which is very important. Yep. Um, and she knows the whole countryside, and she's been six years my PA in Germany. Right. And um, right. she's just, she's helping a lot to put things together and and uh, phone right. people and talk right. to people in the Deutsch language. Right. And, uh,
1: so for and those...
5: then uh, jo- Joanne and I are working on the book a lot.
1: Right. So for those people and who worry about Barry how to... and Joanne. Oh, the Cutchels are there, too. Right. Go
5: ahead. Yeah. Uh, Gary and Joanne Cutchell showed up this morning, in, uh, or no, yesterday, and we went to dinner with them last night, and then again tonight. We went to sign at one of the big Kramer stores, mega stores here, tax shops, but they're huge mm-hmm. places here in Europe, yeah. and we did a signing this afternoon. The Cutchels went along with us, and... There was five of us there. It was so much fun. Fantastic. Really fun.
1: This this is in case yeah. any of our listeners are worried about, uh, you know, an 80-plus wandering around Europe traveling. How do you do it? That's how you do it. You put a team around you that's crack. And and this is going to take you now from uh, a few more spots in Germany and into Austria, right?
3: Right, right. Yeah,
1: fantastic. But the fun- yeah, and
5: we, we, uh-huh. we, we end up in Vienna, mm-hmm. and uh, then there's been an added runner in this race, um, we've, we've received a call that I go from Vienna, uh, to Budapest
0: right.
3: and,
5: uh, do a couple of events there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, just to keep it going, I go get on a plane and go back to Heathrow and check in at Windsor castle where your mother will meet me. And, uh, we will stay in the Maggie Thatcher suite at Windsor castle right. to be in the celebration of the queen's 90th birthday. Now, come on. Is this good or is this good? Hint
1: yourself. I know. Mom's so excited about it, too. No, it's amazing. In fact, as we're recording this, her birthday, her 90th birthday, is actually tomorrow, the 21st of April. And so everybody wish wish the queen a happy birthday all year, really. I mean, when you make 90, you get the whole year, don't you?
5: You do get the whole year. (laughs) And um, believe me, her influence for good uh, about animals and people around the world. Yeah. Is uh, worthy of two or three years of celebration That's of her ninetieth
6: birthday.
1: Really good point. Yeah, really good point. Well, I look forward to meeting up with you in South Africa. Tom and I are coming that way, and um, and and several of your instructors too. So it'll be a fun party. It's just a it's a demo party. Just travel in Europe.
5: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. And uh, uh, oh my word, Debbie, the, you know the fun I'm having and. And the help I got, Stina was an absolute saint. Fantastic. Um, her husband Alan was just over the moon. Those people did such a job of putting it together. And Joan worked her little hind end off, um, making everything happen with the horses and the and the people. She I don't think she slept the last five days. I don't think so either. Yeah, point.
1: I was getting private messages on Facebook and emails from her round the clock. Yeah, and Joan Satori Sway is who he's talking about, and that is one of your certified yeah. instructors in Denmark. So you know what the good thing about all this is? I'm thinking, let's see, you don't speak Danish, you don't speak German, you don't speak Hungarian, you don't speak, uh, you know, thank God for South Slovakian. Africa. We've got Yes, Slovakian. We've got English in South Africa, at least, but you do speak Equus, and we're so glad you're our Rosetta Stone for learning Equus.
5: Well, It's a lot of fun for me. I don't know how I could be doing anything with more pleasure connected with it than what's going on right now. It's just over the moon. And uh, these kids, you know, they're the next generation, and and this isn't going to happen forever with me. And uh, what I'm seeing is an incredible motion upward uh, of acceptance of my theories and my concepts and also uh, an ambition on the part of these instructors to get it right and go on with the legacy that's been laid in their laps, but in a lot of ways they had to work for it, too.
1: Yeah, that's right. Well, thank you for sharing a little bit of your your tour and a little bit of your instructor's enthusiasm with us. We feel like we're there, sort of.
5: Yeah, and I will see you in in South Africa. I'll see your mother um, at Windsor Castle for a couple of days, three days, I think. And, and I guess the Tierneys are going to come over?
1: Yes, friends Elizabeth and Tom Tierney are going to join you at the Royal Windsor Horse Show. How fun is that?
5: Well, that's really good. Will they be able to contact your mother's phone or something?
1: Yeah, I think there is a way that they're they're hooking up there. Sure. You know, horse people, yeah, we there, find there'll each be, other.
5: There will be 100,000 people Just. descend on that little village. <laughs> that's uh, true. Where Windsor Castle is, That's so true. finding us might be a bit of a problem. Well, you know?
1: we'll just we have two women there who know how to shop, so we'll just say meet at the barber store, and that'll do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Dad. Um, look forward to talking to you down the road.
5: And and, and you do know, Debbie, that the Queen's going to have a picture taken with my knee. <gasps>
1: Perfect. You know what I heard? Uh, Here's another little rumor we'll let all the listeners in on. Andreas Jacobs, uh, trainer of champion racehorses in the uh, owner uh, in Europe, uh, wrote me yesterday and said he had a dinner and spent two and a half hours talking to the queen. Here's a name dropper. Two and a half hours talking to the queen last Friday. He says she's in great form and she hinted that she might have the perfect pony for you to put you back on for the first ride since your. Your knee surgery, so <laughs> it might not be a Landau and yeah. top, top Hat. It might be a pony.
5: Yeah, well, you know, this specialist that put a titanium knee uh, in my leg, mm-hmm. um, he was so disappointed when the queen said I couldn't ride, that I had to ride in a Landau. I couldn't <laughs> ride on the back of a horse because she was worried about me hurting this knee. And uh, the, the doctor was really upset that she wasn't going to get to see me ride a horse on, in May, after he did the surgery in December. Ah. And uh, so then the queen said, well, let's put it together this way. Terry Pendry's to saddle a very gentle pony oh, for me and uh, take a picture so that uh, the doctor will be able to uh, say that the queen saw his knee.
1: Okay, we will only allow that if we get a copy of that photo. Will we get a copy of that photo?
5: <laughs> well, I, you know, you know, in Winter Castle, I tried to get Simon Palmer, our video man, to go in and video the whole thing and itv owns the whole show
1: right no one else allowed i don't know
5: i don't know what well but the queen gave terry orders that there should be a picture taken and terry says he'll get it done some way so i don't know everybody's got a camera these days exactly
1: yeah that's right right shh don't tell anybody yeah (laughs) all right (laughs) All right, yeah, Dad.
5: yeah, because they really are restricted within uh, Windsor Castle grounds. You know,
1: I, I can imagine. I, I mean, I can't imagine. Yeah. Amazing, yeah. Well, we, we wish yeah. the the monarch of the century, the longest reigning monarch ever, the happiest of birthday, and we wish you lots of health and happiness down the road.
5: Thank you, Debbie, and I'll see you in Johannesburg.
1: See you in Johannesburg. Good night, Dad. Good night. Stephanie Madhouse grew up with horses and was successful in show jumping. At the age of 18, she decided not to become a professional show jumper and started a career in editing movies for TV stations in Germany. But her love of horses eventually proved to be her calling. In 2006, Stephanie returned to working with horses and began studying Monty's methods of fla- at Flag is Farms. Stephanie soon became a part of the Monty's video team. and For several years, she divided her time between creating Monty's educational videos and studying Monty's horse training methods at the Monty Roberts International Learning Center in Solvang, California. And during this time, she also traveled worldwide assisting Monty in his demonstrations and learning from the other Monty Roberts certified instructors too. Stephanie earned her instructor status finally in 2011, and now she's working at her own business for horses and youth close to Berlin. Well, we're really lucky today to have all the way from Germany, Steph Madau. And we're excited because last week she was able to uh, put on a course in a clinic at her place uh, in Germany with Monty Roberts, and we wanted to have her on to hear a little bit more about that. Hi, Steph. How are you? Hi, Debbie. I'm fine. Good to hear you. (laughs) Really good to hear your voice, too, and thank you for staying up very late tonight for us. (laughs)
6: It's a pleasure.
1: (laughs) Uh, Our pleasure. So tell us a little bit about what it was like to set up the course and what kind of horses did you have and how did you figure out the format so that lots of people could access your wonderful horses and and all the knowledge that you have over there?
6: I thought because I saw Monty working with Grisha Ludwig together um, that it would be wonderful to give some uh, normal, regular people the chance to have um, a riding lesson for Monty, mm-hmm. and I know it's very unusual, so I asked first Monty um, if he um, would be willing to do this for me for the opening of my rent here in Germany, and he agreed, and then I... Um, I did put this out in the world, and people could write emails to me and um, tell me about their problem or no problem and the reason why they want to um, join this clinic. And from, all, um, um, from everybody who wrote to me, um, together with two other people, we chose four persons for a riding lesson with Monty. And um, there were two horses which nearly had no problem, just for having an assessment of Monty, a feedback if the riding style is good or not, some were struggling if they want to um, use spurs or not. And then there were two horses um, in, in the email. They were a little struggle, but not too much. I also got emails where um, they can't even mount the horse, which I then said, I'm sorry, this clinic is not about the... Um, not non mounting horse but it's more about a riding lesson so um, and so I invited for four persons out of um, a lot of <laughs> uh, people who wanted to join this and the the others I invited for um, looking at it because I think not even by riding but look looking at it and listening to Monty um, you learn also very very much
1: yeah. Like an auditor then. You had auditors and then you had the participants. Yeah, correct. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I saw yeah. the photos and they were amazing. You had so many people out there on kind of a blustery cold day. Um and, and it was you had a variety of horses too. I saw your horse, Shine My Gun. Um, we should talk a little bit about Grisha and Shine My Gun too, just to let people know what we're um, what yeah. we're in for here. What a beautiful clinic it was. <clears throat>
6: um uh Grisha, Ludwig, Scheinmeigan and me, we have like a um, we are like a very, very good team. Uh, I, I met Grisha through to Monty, which is really funny. Um, and they they worked um in, in Germany with Western horses which I never saw before. I I, I knew it it's Going to be a big thing in America, but it's normal in America because you work the cows, and it's um, your style of riding. But I didn't know till this point that it's also possible in Germany. So I was like, "Oh, Monty, I want to do this too." Mm-hmm. So I asked him for ask uh, asking Monty for me if I can work at Grisha's place, and they agreed. And after the tour with Monty, I went back to Grisha's place and groomed the horses. I saddled the horses, and I was always watching Grisha. During this time, I fall in love with a little, little boy. (laughs) 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 And nobody till this point bought this this little horse because he was tiny. But if you know me, I'm very tiny, too. So for me, it was not a problem that it's a tiny horse. (laughs) And... um, I asked Grisha, "Do you think if I buy this little boy, you can show him and I can show him?" And Grisha said, "Yes, you can, because with Grisha and normal customers, it's like he first shows them and then they they go to the um, owners and um, become non-professional horses. But it's then very difficult for the horse to also perform with the professional um, mm-hmm. in the professional levels. So Grisha showed um, him in the beginning." And he turned to be one of the best uh, 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 best horses in his uh, age, in his group. And um, he kept on showing him, and, and they became a better, better team until they became um, the silver medal last year with the, in the European Championship. This was the mm. biggest uh, thing they, they got. Yeah, it was Amazing.
1: really exciting. really yeah. exciting. How did that make you feel to sit there, to go from uh, visiting California, learning <sighs> your your lessons to become a certified instructor, and then taking on this horse and going all the way to the silver medal in Italy? Well, it was in Italy, right? Uh,
6: no, this
1: was in uh, Aachen. In this big, Aachen, uh, yes, that's
6: right. Aachen, yeah. In
1: Germany. Mm-hmm.
6: In Germany, where also the big dressage horses uh, I met Charlotte Bridell over there. She was just, she couldn't believe it. She said, I saw you two years ago with your first Western lesson, and now you're standing here. That's not possible. It's really, it's an amazing story. And after Grisha won, um, uh, not won, but got silver with the European Championship, I took Shine Magan to Italy, and he won a championship in the non-pro classes with me. That's right.
1: Yeah. That's right. That It is an amazing story. You know, funny, as we sit here too, today is Charlotte Bradal Bakers, a bronze medalist in the Olympic dressage uh, and a neighbor of ours. She lives a mile away. She goes to Germany. Today is her birthday. It's It also happens. Yeah, actually today, oh, it's birthday, April 21st, yes, oh. exactly. when she hears this, Um and it yeah. happens to be the Queen's birthday today, too, the 90th birthday of the Queen, so Correct. they're in good company.
6: happy birthday to you, Queen.
1: <laughs> yes, too. Yeah, no, it's just a fairy tale story that every little girl would love to grow up with, right, that she, she picks yeah. the underdog, and um you have one of the champion trainers uh, who loves his horses, too, right?
6: Yeah true and um you know uh in between when shine my gun is not on tour with Grisha, he he joins me and is doing a fantastic job on the double long lining he's doing sliding stops on double long lining rollbacks he's doing side passes and um uh, yeah it's fantastic uh, he he joins me with with uh, you know he's just it's unbelievable it's the yes. same horse and doing uh, such a thing with me, and then he goes out there and is winning silver. Yeah. that's Amazing. <laughs> yeah.
1: People will have yeah, to. Can, I don't... can we see him on YouTube? Can you find Shine My Gun on YouTube, but maybe see some runs if people wanted to? Yeah, sure. Yeah. He's
6: on YouTube. Yeah, with Krisha.
1: There you go. People should go see that absolutely and see what Stephanie has created. Now you just trained him up though in the in your grassy fields out there. You don't have a, you know, a million dollar budget on this horse or anything. Um was it more about relationship do you think for him? I think
6: when he is here he's at home, you know, and he's got the I I bought this place not only for him but also for him. And um just uh, two weeks before Monty came, I started to build up a riding arena, but don't think it's a right ride- riding arena. We have grassy sand over here, and I turned my my uh, paddock uh, uh, inside out so that the sun com- sand comes up and the grass is gone. Before this, it was just a grass paddock, and I was just walk, trot, and cantering on the grass as a preparation for all the championships. Once a week, I drove with him in an indoor arena and um, did some sliding stops and some spins. And um, if the weather was not that fine and I had to train him, I went in the forest and we went out. And I think it's the the mixture for this horse that he never gets um, tired of what he's doing because he's got a really um, exciting life.
1: Yeah, he does. Well, I bet. Do you give uh, courses out there, staff? Do you uh, have people, besides this big clinic that you just put on, which was really successful, congratulations. Do you have people come in and and take lessons from you or give courses?
6: Yeah. Um, Now the opening is finished, so I start to give courses over here, join up, double long lining. I'm really, really um, into double long lining. Mm -hmm. And... um, like uh, groundwork, and I help the people to get the horses bomb-proof.
1: Ah, um, very good. Hey, tell uh, me about that, because yeah. I, I heard uh, there was one very spooky horse in the clinic. Uh,
6: in the clinic, yeah, there was um, Meteor with her, um, his owner, a little girl. Her name um, is Madeleine. She's 14 years old, and she... Um, she wrote to me that he wants to join she wants to join the clinic and I thought for a young girl like this it's a, a wonderful opportunity to learn from Monty because if you get this right then if you're a young person you you um get this right when you're older and you can pass this on to everybody. And when she entered the arena she arrived on Thursday. On Friday we walked the horse in, in the arena and he was very afraid of a tent um, where the people could stand covered. And it was windy, so the tent was shiny and um, uh, flattering. So the horse was very, very excited on Friday. On Saturday, I see this little girl entering the arena with her horse, and she wanted to mount, but the horse was not standing still for mounting, not at all. The horse and the the, uh, madeleine was very, very excited. So I went up there, I said, Madeleine, let's wait. Let's go to Monty and talk about this. If you should ride now or if it's better to work on the basic that your horse stands still for mounting. And she agreed with me. So we went up to Monty and we told about the problem that she would like, like to ride here for him, but now she's excited and the horse is excited, so she can't even mount. And Monty took over, directly had his ideas, and worked together with me. So we worked on the mounting. Um, I got um, uh, two words to the horse, uh, so we we built this up um, incrementally for the horse, and then I was sitting on the horse, and we made the transfer to Madeleine. She was sitting on the horse, then Monty was walking her, and everything looked really safe and and nice, until Monty unclipped her, Mm -hmm. and she was walking on her own, the horse directly started to go to the um, exit, Mm -hmm. and she couldn't stop him, so it was a um, uh the horse was still walking, but we all felt very uncomfortable for the girl and the horse. So Monty ma- managed that she can go off. And his idea was then to work the horse the next day in the round pen with Joanna and me together. So um, the next day we put him in the round pen and we worked with the dummy. And then Joanna was riding him in the round pen and everything was fine in the round pen. Until she, uh, she asked him to go out, he started to do the same thing again. But Joanna is an experienced uh, rider, and she's working together with Monty. So she corrected him very quickly, and he, at the end, was fine. But um, this horse is not a safe uh, pony for um, an, uh, a girl. Mm-hmm. So they decided to um, let the horse here, and he's in training now with me to make him safe for oh. the girl. We we don't think that he's not going to be safe, but at the moment he's absolutely not safe.
1: Not well, safe good. Enough. Well, that's actually yeah. a good thing. That's a responsible story, and I'm sure the girl learned a lot from that, too. That's really good. So, tell me about yeah. the, the poppy stuff. Uh, you, you you put a tarp over something that makes poppy sounds, and <laughs> and it's a new bomb-proof method. Sure. Yeah,
6: Monty was really impressed. And so, so, I mean, I think that's the dream of every instructor to impress Monty with something really new he likes. So um, when um, when I go on show with my um, Shine My Gun, or I'm also showing now um, uh, his son, Shining Son of My Gun, um, and I um, Shining Son of My Gun, I build it um, totally in Monty's concept. So his first halter was the green dooley. And I um, made him bumfoo from the beginning. And um, then I thought, how how far can you go if you raise a horse in Monty's concept? There is more than just walking over a tarp or um, that you use the um, stick with the uh, plastic bags. I wanted to um, raise the fish for my horses. So I thought, what can I add to these things? And there is a little surprise for my horses underneath the tarp. I put this foil there, which pops when, when you, um, uh, press it, which you usually use to wrap up, um, things you want to send with the post that they don't break. So I put like them bub- underneath. Bubble yeah. Wrap. <laughs>
2: bubble
6: yeah, wrap. bubble wrap. And it's underneath the, um, the tarp lane. So they don't see when or if it's p- going to pop. It's o- totally by surprise. And usually I'm jumping and the horses keep cool because it really gets you by surprise. Boom, boom, boom. It's really, and, and the horses just look down and it's uh, totally okay for them because they know um, when they're on my side, they they can trust me. They do this while walking then on the double long lining and also with riding on top of it.
1: Jeepers. That's amazing.
6: Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: Thank you for sharing that little tip. Now we're all going to have a nightmare all summer. We're going to try
6: this. My my dogs, they disappear when they hear this because they really don't like it. And the horses go like, bang, bang, bang.
1: That's hilarious. That's right. It's like 4th of July for the dogs. That's right. Over here we have explosions. Well, Steph, it's really fun to talk to you. I I hear our Thank line disintegrating a little bit. I think we've, our hiss is back in the line. So, I'll let you oh, go, okay. but we'll we'll do a follow-up and we want to hear about how the horses did from from your clinic and how you're doing with Shine My Gun in the future.
6: Oh, great. I will keep you up up to date. It was fun. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you for this opportunity.
1: Thanks so much for staying up for us. Thank you, Steph Meadows. Thank you, Stephanie. <laughs> Thank you.
0: (laughs) We all hear about omega-3 and how important it is for your horse's nutrition. But why? Well, simply put, horses were created to get all of their nutrition from live natural grasses. Omega-3 is an essential fat found in many types of live grasses, and it's critical to the horse's health. If they were living on live grasses 24-7, they would be receiving enough omega-3. But in today's world, most horses are fed commercial feed and forage as their primary nutrition, and most of these are lacking in omega-3. That's where Omega Fields comes in. All of Omega Fields' flax-based products provide a balanced essential profile of omega-3, 6, 9, and may be helpful in alleviating problems related to skin, coat, hoof, joint, and sand colic. One of Omega Fields' terrific products is Omega Horseshine. Omega Horseshine is an Omega-3 stabilized ground flaxseed supplement for horses to help maintain a shiny, healthy coat, strong, solid hooves, and top performance for horses in all life stages. Omega Fields provides the best human-grade non-GMO ground flax that can help horses with dry, scaly, itchy skin, joint pain and inflammation, poor hoof growth, allergies, and more. Don't just listen to Debbie and I. Alexandra, a customer of Omega Fields, says any horse I ever own, I will feed them Omega Horse Shine, and I will recommend it to anyone. You can get your Omega Horse Shine today at OmegaFields.com, or just for our listeners, get fifteen percent off using the coupon code Monty2015. All one word. It's Monty2015 for fifteen percent off your next order at OmegaFields.com. That's OmegaFields.com. We'll be
1: Keith Dane is a horseman who's owned, showed, bred, and trained horses for most of his life, a licensed judge with many great gated breed organizations, and co-founded one of the first show circuits for the sound gated horse community, created as an alternative to the big lick shows. That can involve cruelty in training. As Vice President of Equine Protection for the Humane Society of the United States, Keith Dane oversees the domestic horse welfare programs for the nation's largest animal protection organization. Those efforts include a nationwide campaign to end the slaughter of America's horses in the U.S. and abroad, a horse owner education program addressing cases of equine cruelty and neglect, securing the welfare of horses used in sport, work, and racing, and the rehoming of America's at-risk and homeless horses. Prior to joining HSUS, Dane served as executive director of Friends of Sound Horses, (FOSH), an organization established to eliminate cruelties in the Tennessee walking horse industry. He served as FOSH's liaison to the U.S. Department of Agriculture for its certified inspection program under the Horse Protection Act. Well, welcome back, Keith Dane. Thank you so much for agreeing to give us an update and coming back. How are you doing?
3: I'm doing great, and thanks for having me back on the show.
1: Well, we love what you're doing. We're we're fighting for you, too, and we want to help. So we want to hear a little update about what's going on with the Tennessee Walking Horses breed and, and how are you helping support them?
3: Great. Well, um, as you know, as we've discussed before, this is the breed that I grew up with. So it's the one that I've had the most exposure to in the horse industry and the one that I'm the most passionate of. And so that's why I've been dedicated for decades, really, in working to uh, end the abuses and cruelties that are inflicted upon this breed. Right. Now, we've talked about in the uh, in the past. Uh, we were successful in getting a federal bill introduced in Congress in the last session of Congress, mm-hmm. known as the Prevent All Soaring Tactics Act, or PAST Act, is the acronym. And the the legislation would amend the 1970 Horse Protection Act, which was passed by Congress initially with the intention of ending these abuses.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so maybe we, this is a good place to jump in and, and just for people who maybe didn't hear our, our last interview is, you know, what breeds are we talking about, Keith, and what type of showing or, or discipline are, is affected?
3: Sure. Well, it's mainly the Tennessee walking horse breed, but over the decades, there have been two other breeds that have sort of been offshoots of the Tennessee walker. One is the racking horse breed, mm-hmm. and the other is the spotted saddle horse breed. So all three of these breeds... Um, prize in their top levels of competition, an artificial animated gait known as the big lick. Mm-hmm. It's a gait produced through inhumane tactics and practices, um, including things like soaring, which is the intentional infliction of pain to the lower limbs of the horse's legs, so that the horse is forced to take a quicker, deeper step um which produces that big lick gate that they're looking for in the show ring. Mm-hmm. So they the trainers will use a variety of tactics including putting chemicals uh, caustic chemicals on the pastures of the horse and then riding them in action devices or heavy chains to mm-hmm. create that pain response which causes the horse to step higher.
1: Kind of like flinching so they're they're sore so they're ouchy and and they lift their legs higher. Why, why do trainers do that? Is it just to win? I mean, is, is, there, is there that much money in this?
3: There's not a tremendous amount of money when you compare this breed to other breeds. But within this breed, if you want to win, you've got to do this. In order to compete, you have to cheat. And so uh, those who are trainers in this industry and owners who want to win, um, if they want to win at the top levels, they're going to have to do this to their
1: horses. Wow. So we're, you know, our, we have got a subtitle to Horsemanship Radio, which is uh, feel good about the direction that horsemanship going is going. And I would, I'd love to, to give a positive note on this. So tell us about alternatives to showing these, this wonderful breed, Tennessee walking horses and, and the others that are affected. I, I know there's Fosh, which is, uh, well, tell us a little bit about the alternatives.
3: Sure. Well, as you know, and your dad has certainly worked with these horses in the past, this is a very gentle, docile breed, and they have a wonderful um, gait as well as their disposition. Mm -hmm. It's a natural gait that was bred into them over the generations. And so the horses that have retained those bloodlines that still do the natural gait are wonderful companions, wonderful trail riding mounts, and really do excel at many different disciplines that uh, other breeds are expected to do, such as working cattle and Um, trail riding, driving, you name it, walking horses can do it. So there are organizations out there that are dedicated to the preservation of those bloodlines and also the promotion of the natural gated Tennessee walking horse. And you mentioned FOSH, which is Friends of Sound Horses. Mm -hmm. That's one of the leading groups and one of the first groups in the country nationwide to set up a show circuit for naturally gated uh, horses, including Tennessee walkers and others. Um, as well as rewards, things like trail riding participation and things like that. Mm, So there are plenty of alternatives out there. There's really a a thriving nationwide show circuit for the natural Tennessee walking horse. But unfortunately, the people that own them and love them and, you know, raise them and try to make a a business out of them um, are held back because of the stigma that the soaring uh, issue has placed on the breed. It's sort of like a black cloud that follows Tennessee walking horses around everywhere and it has really held them back. So the people who are doing right by their horses, you know, practicing natural or humane horsemanship and um, obeying the law are the ones that are suffering and at a disadvantage, whereas the ones that are breaking the law and harming horses are the ones that are being rewarded at the top level.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's been a long, long process. If if this act was passed in 1970, what's taking so long and, and what progress has is, is recently been made?
3: So there were loopholes in the original um, Horse Protection Act that people who want to continue to do this, uh, engage in this practice, have found over the years
0: mm-hmm. that have
3: allowed them to continue largely unfettered in their uh, in their practices. So the progress that's being made is that there is a fe- this federal bill, the PAST Act, that's been introduced, has huge support, both from within the horse industry and veterinary community, but also in Congress, uh, which would close those loopholes. Specifically, what the bill would do is to eliminate the industry self-regulation that's been in place since 1976 and has been a total failure. It's essentially the fox watching the hen house because you yeah. have People who are putting on the shows and wanting to get people into the ring, get horses into the ring, are the same ones that are um, organizing these uh, industry inspection programs, and they really uh, encourage their inspectors to turn a blind eye to violations. So we want to see that pro- uh, program eliminated and have the U.S. Department of Agriculture, which is charged in the federal law currently, with overall enforcement of the act. We also want to see an elimination of the use of the devices that are part and parcel of this practice known as soaring.
0: Mm-hmm. So the
3: chains that are used in the show ring and allowed in the show ring uh, that accentuate and remind the horse of the pain that he experienced when the chemicals were being used, mm-hmm. those chains are part of the, uh, the soaring process and they need to be eliminated.
1: Yeah, you know, I, yeah we, we went into the uh, to the business uh, by I think it was two thousand six, and we're trying to help out at the top level, and we were we were told that those chains are no more than like the the weight of a Rolex watch, a men's Rolex watch, and they really didn't do anything. But it's obvious that those things, uh, those extrinsic things, are just uh, adjutants for the soaring chemicals that are put on the horses. Is that right?
3: Absolutely. Well, you know there have been studies that have shown that if you put a a six-ounce chain, which is the maximum weight that's allowed in the show ring by U.S. Department of Agriculture regulations, if you put that weight chain on a, any horse, they'll respond for a short period of time. It'll aggravate them, and they may try to throw their feet a little higher, but after a while, they'll get used to it, and if with if there's no pain involved, that action device does nothing. That chain is there to remind the horse of the pain. And so it doesn't matter whether it's 6 ounces or 4 ounces or 10 ounces. Mm -hmm. It's a reminder of the pain that that, those chemicals, which were used in the training barn, uh, caused the horse. We also know that in these training barns, they're using much heavier action devices than are allowed in the show Mm -hmm. ring in -hmm. order to train the horse and, again, to accentuate the pain. So Mm -hmm. the idea that these are just uh, bracelets or um, accessories is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're there for one purpose and that's to cause the horse pain.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so you're also wanting to get rid of those stacks too, which sometimes when people have not seen much about the Big Lick or the Tennessee Walking Horse uh this kind of show that we've seen are aghast to see them up on these platform heels, right? They're like they like has gone wild, right? For horses. Yes,
3: absolutely. It's like walking on stilts or platform Shoes every day of your life and then being asked to run a marathon in them. That's essentially what these horses are. are
1: There you go. We can, we can sort of relate to that. Not really, but, but the, the, the appalling thing I think to me was they never take them off. And when we saw breeding, uh, horses, the breeding, uh, stallions that were at some of the ranches that were, they're such an amazing breed that they could be in season breeding while still showing, which anybody who's you know bred horses knows that that's that's a that's a delicate thing to do. And and they never took them off the platform. So they never got I don't even know what would happen if they took them off the platform. We were trying to help them devise some way to get those things off and then maybe put them on just for the show ring or something, but apparently that doesn't
0: work.
3: Right. Well the um, use of these stacks is uh, part of the soaring process as well. Um, For one thing, they do things to the sole of the hoof, like Mm. grind it down quick or cut it to the quick or insert hard Uh. foreign objects between the hoof and the stack so that every time the horse steps down, the horse is in pain. Uh, Uh. The fact that these, these stacks typically have wedges in the back that jack up the heel of the horse, which of course causes it to store, stand at an unnatural angle and also causes pain in the limbs of the horse. So the stacks are again part of the soaring process. It's not something that you can just put on and take off. In fact, there are veterinarians in this that, that are practitioners in this breed advise that you gradually bring the horses down if you're going to take them off for the season or if the horse is laid up for an injury you don't just take them off at once because of course the tendons have been shortened by having the heels raised. And so as soon as you take them off, those tendons are being stretched and could, could cause blown tendons or worse. So um, unfortunately, most of the horses in this in this breed, in this segment of this breed that are on stacks, wear them from the time they're 14, 16 months old until the time their show ring careers end.
1: Well, I, you know, I know that it's painful to share that, but, you know, before everybody gets really crazy about the Tennessee Walking Horse soaring pain, it, absolutely the worst stuff I can imagine to horses. Um, we we need to keep fighting for everything that causes pain to horses, which is so unnecessary for the flight animal to have to endure. Uh, you know, we're still watching people with whips and and uh, you know, to an animal that can feel a fly on its skin, you know, and flick it away, we know that uh, the pain threshold just must be horrendous. So tell us what we can do or tell us about uh, what's being done right now, uh, proposed rule changes to that through, uh, I think it's Representative Ted Yoho, am I saying that correctly?
3: That's right. So Congressman Yoho is a... Congressman. Congressman. And he is from Florida, and he is the lead sponsor on the PAST Act in this session of Congress. The bill number in the House is H.R. 3268, and in the Senate it's S. 1121, and Senator Kelly Ayotte of New Hampshire is the lead sponsor in the Senate. So we're trying to get this bill passed. We've got huge support. Unfortunately, there are some members of Congress that have worked to obstruct the bill and prevent it from getting to the floor for a vote, But um, your listeners and you and your dad and everyone can help by contacting their members of Congress. They can go to congress.org to find out who those members are, two senators and one congressperson. Contact them, and if they're not past co-sponsors, ask them to co-sponsor the bill. And if they are, ask them to do everything that they can to get the bill passed. There's also another development that's going on that you all should be aware of, and that is that the U.S. Department of Agriculture, which puts out regulations under the Horse Protection Act as to how the act will be implemented, they have recently sent a rule, a proposed rule change, over to the Office of Management and Budget, which is a department of the administration, uh, the Obama administration. And we believe and we hope that this rule will fix some of those loopholes that we've talked about. We're hoping that it will ban the use of the stacks and the action devices on the three breeds that are the victims of this abuse. Again, Tennessee walking horses, racking horses, and spotted saddle horses. Mm -hmm. And we believe it will also uh, eliminate those industry self-regulatory systems that are essentially the fox watching the hen house. We really want to see this rule go forward. We're hoping that those people, those members of Congress that have obstructed the PAST Act will not get involved in slowing the progress of this rule going forward. And that's another thing that we can ask our members of Congress to do is to urge them to voice their support for new rulemaking, new regulations at USDA that would close some of these loopholes.
1: Great. Yeah, great, Keith. I- I appreciate that. So that's what a concerned person can do who cares about horses and especially this beautiful breed. Let's get back to natural. They have a gorgeous gait and they're such a sweet, sweet disposition and breed. And will go all day long. Um, they, you know, just built to be. They were built to be plantation horses, weren't they? That um, the plantation owners use so they go across lots of ground in one day.
3: Absolutely. And that's what makes them such great trail mounts and, you know, endurance riding horses. They can go all day. They have a long stride. They can cover a lot of territory with very little discomfort to the rider.
1: What's your favorite breed to ride, Keith?
3: I have to say it is the Tennessee walking horse. There you go. And have stuck with, and I really want to see it protected and um, and get this, this cruelty ended once and for all. So this Horse can have his rightful place among American horse breeds.
1: Bless your heart. Thank you very much for that, Keith. And thank you for carving out some precious time for us today.
3: It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on, Debbie.
1: Talk to you soon. Thanks,
2: Keith. Bye bye.
3: Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word.
2: It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox. And share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty.
3: Leave this world a better place, the The magic in the language of the
7: Dear Monty. Sometimes my horse wants to put his tongue above the bit. I think he does that because he's nervous. Although I've tried to put a rubber thing on the bridle to avoid this, I think it only stressed him more. I would like to go to the origin of the problem if possible and not to apply a remedy that doesn't solve the problem. He stopped doing this for the last months, but then started again this week. And I really want to understand why this happens and solve it because I know it means he's not comfortable. Can you help me? Monty's answer. I love this question. I suppose the reason I like it so much is that I think I have a very good answer for it. And this answer has a twist to it that people find interesting. During the first half of my career with horses, I recall that I shared the same opinion with virtually every professional that I knew. If a horse was inclined to put his tongue over the bit, one should elevate the bit in the horse's mouth so that it's more difficult for him to negotiate the act of placing his tongue on top of it. It seems to me that I had as much trouble as everyone else with this particular problem. After riding the young horse for a month or two, the habit seemed to go away and naturally I made the assumption that I knew what I was doing and that elevating the bit was an effective way to cure young horses of this annoying habit. The fact is that horses find it very uncomfortable to carry the bit when it's under their tongue and it seems that eventually they come to the conclusion that it is much better to keep the tongue under the bit. Given this piece of information, one would have to conclude that I was never very successful at all in helping them with this problem. It simply went away under natural circumstances. Well, one day I was working with young horses on Flag Is Up farms, and a gentleman from Australia came through and introduced himself as a professional horse trainer in Australia. Somehow, we got on to the discussion regarding tongues over bits. He told me that he had discovered a very simple way of dealing with this problem, and naturally, I asked him for his formula. He told me to drop the bit about two notches or so from the normal position. He advised me that I should make it easy for the horse to put his tongue over the bit in those early days, giving the horse the freedom of choice, but allowing them the discomfort of negative behavior was an absolutely remarkable solution, and it has worked for me like a charm ever since. It doesn't seem logical until one observes closely the true nature of the horse and stops attempting to force behavior, employing instead that wonderful methods of making it easy on the horse when he does the right thing and uncomfortable for the horse when he does the wrong thing. I don't know this man's name, so I can't give him personal credit for this discovery, but maybe someday he will come back around to claim his rightful handshake and nod of approval. The answer to this question supports my theory that if we are the best horse people possible, we will employ freedom of choice as much as we possibly can. True, we should recognize that negative behavior must be followed by negative consequences, but absolutely in the absence of violence. Thanks, Monty.
5: Hi. I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it, too, on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider. It doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online, too, on our forum. And there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at montyroberts.com. <laughs>
7: The wide, wide world of sports is going on
0: here. Where in the world is Monty Roberts?
1: Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in Cape Town, South Africa, June the 4th and 5th. You're gonna and be then- there. I get to go. July 17 to 21 is the Monty Special Training with Translation in Portuguese and California. Then August 1 through 5, it's Monty Special Training at Flagazette Farms also in California. And August 22 through September 2 is Gently Wild Horses Course at Flagazette Farms. That's exciting. And then September 9 is Horse Sense for Leaders. That's a corporate. And then September 10 and 11 is Wild at Heart with Pat Roberts and Monty Roberts at their home in Solvang, California. A good time to be had
2: by all. And you can see lots more at Monty's website, MontyRoberts.com. Or you can go old school and speak with a lovely, pleasant human being who knows exactly what's going on by calling 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show... You can go to HorsemanshipRadio.com where you will find links, photos, and more information about today's guests. And as always, we do love feedback. If you've got questions, curiosities, comments, we want to hear from you. You can follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Monty Roberts. And Monty Roberts is a Twitter. Yes, he tweets. You can follow (laughs) Monty Roberts on Twitter. His handle is Monty underscore Roberts. And you can listen to the show's by downloading the free Horse Radio Network app for iPhone or Android. Just go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. You can download it today. It's quick, it's free, and it's easy. Yeah, it works
1: a trick. And many thanks to our sponsors, too, IFA.com, Omega Fields, and MontyRobertsUniversity.com. And be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. And until next time, have many happy horse hours.